same time. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Good. That was a wonderful time of worship. Thank you, worship team. Uh, man, we have been going through some serious uh, stuff in the series. Like We've been learning a lot. Uh, we've been in a series called Be Equipped. We're going through spiritual disciplines. Um, and we talked about like discipline of scripture and discipline of prayer. And uh, we've talked about discipline of fellowship, why this is so good and necessary, um, the gathering of all of you guys, all the believers. And last week we talked about a uh, discipline of serving, what that means and what that means for your life and what that is biblically. Today we're going to be uh, talking about a discipline of worship. It's going to be great, right? It's going to be very uh, deep in the scriptures. It's going to be really good. We're going to really try to understand what biblical worship is, right? Because I think when we think of the term worship, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Singing, right? Which is great because that is an expression of worship. And I think we can make the case that all of the spiritual disciplines are an expression of worship to God. Just like Matt was saying, communion is, uh, this is worship. When you come to church and have fellowship, that is worship. When you are praying uh, at your house, and you're not in the church, and you're just praying and, and calling out to God, that is worship. That is an expression of worship, but what does the Bible mean when it talks about this idea of worship and what that means for us? And that's what we're going to unpack today, uh, because I think if we're going to talk about a discipline of worship, I think we first need to really, truly understand what that means. What does the Bible mean when it says worship? And so that's what we're going to do today. But before we dive in, join me in prayer. Lord, thank you. It is such a privilege. As Jean prayed down in prayer today, it is such a privilege to be here with your people. It is such a privilege to hear your word as freely as we do. We're not persecuted for having a Bible. Lord, I just pray that you would soften our hearts today, that you would help us to understand your word about worship, what it means biblically, what it looks like to worship God, worship you and you alone, and how do we build a discipline in doing that, Lord? And so just give us wisdom. Um, we just want to seek your face, Lord. We need you. We need to hear from you today. And so we lay aside all of the distractions, whatever we came in with. God, we, we place that in your hands and we come under your word in this moment as we just worshiped you and, and sang song to you. Help us to be attentive to your word this morning, Lord. And so we ask all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Okay, so we want to understand biblically what is worship? What is it? Um, just this idea that, that of worship. What is, what is that? And so before I give you a definition that I kind of conjured up in my study over the past week, I'm going to give you four scriptures. It would take literally all day to go through all the scriptures that talk about worship. So we're not going to do that. I'm not going to put you through that. But we're going we're gonna to go through four scriptures, in the old, or two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament, that give the general idea of what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about worship. So I'm just going to rapid fire them to you. 
The first one is Genesis 22, 3 through 5. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. This, if you're not familiar, this is the moment when Abraham, in obedience to God, is going to sacrifice his son. Or, yeah, yeah, <laughs> offer, uh, sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, if you know the story, uh, you know, God doesn't actually want him to do this human sacrifice. He's testing his obedience. But this is what happens. On the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, his, the young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there where we're going to do this thing and we're going to worship. And then I will come to you again. This moment, this is the first moment in all of Scripture where worship is indicated, is used specifically. And it's connected to the obedience, the sacrificial obedience of Abraham. The next one, Deuteronomy 8.19. And if you forget the Lord, he's, uh, God is speaking to Moses, and Moses is giving this to the people before they enter into the land. Uh, and you, you know, we just got out of Joshua not too long ago. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Luke 2, 36 through 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel and of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until the age of 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. The last one, John 4, 23, Jesus is uh, speaking with a Samaritan woman at a well, something that was not something a Jew didn't do back then. But the hour is coming, he tells her, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So this is giving a, a, a general idea of what worship is. Again, it would take forever to go through all the verses that talk about this in the Old Testament and New Testament. But we can kind of make a general biblical definition of worship, which is this. Worship is a life of devotion and service to something or someone. A life of devotion and service to something and someone. Now, I want to kind of unpack this word devotion a little bit because as we unpack this idea of worship, I don't want us to think that God doesn't want us to be diligent in things like work and family and parenting and uh, all the things that he's gifted us, our talents, our gifts. He wants us to be diligent in those things. So the Bible, when it speaks of devotion, it uses it several different ways. But the two primary ways is, uh, in one sense, in Acts, 2, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, it uses the word devotion in the sense of diligence. So in Acts 2.42, Luke is writing to, uh, about the early Christians at that time, about how they were devoted to the prayer and to breaking of bread and to the gathering. They were diligent in these things. They were, they were excellent in doing these things. But the word that I'm using in this biblical definition is not necessarily that one. There's another sense that it's used, and we find an example of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35 
Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers to stay devoted to Jesus undistracted. And the Greek word used for that sense of devotion is euperidros. It means to have an undivided service to something or someone, undivided, which means it's not, you know, sporadic. It's one way, undivided service to something or someone. And that's what I'm meaning when I say a life of devotion, euperidros, undivided service to something or someone. Again, I clarify this because we're going to get into it. (laughs) Now, this leads me to kind of address a misunderstanding that some of us maybe have about worship. I know I did uh, for a long time, even before uh, looking into this biblically. When we think of worship, we tend to think of like a religious activity, right, that religious people do. Like, oh, they're Christian, they worship. Oh, the atheist over there, he doesn't worship, right? The Hindu, the Buddhist probably worship in their own way, but the other people who don't believe in God, they don't necessarily worship. And that isn't necessarily true. The Bible says, again, the idea of worship, a life of devotion and service to something or someone. Uh, on the contrary, every single human, in some form or fashion, is engaging in worship in some way to something at all points in their life, all the time. This isn't something that we do and then we stop doing at another point. It's something that is happening continually in our life. But don't take my word for it. Like, <laughs> don't believe me, believe the Bible, all right? So this is what it says. We're gonna look, uh, we're gonna go back to the beginning because if this is true, then it would be evident when God creates mankind. If we are, if we were made to worship, if that is something that is like a part of the human experience and not just something that Christians and religious people do, but something that is just interwoven within us, it will be evident when God creates humanity. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. This is what it says. The Lord God took the man... Adam put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And then the Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this is really interesting. So God creates Adam, who is the representation of all humanity. His name literally means humanity, Adam. And then he creates Eve, and subsequently all of the other, all of humanity was to follow this kind of framework that he's uh, giving to Adam and Eve. He creates him, and he gives him two things. He puts him in a garden. He says, I want you to work and keep this. I want you to be in service to my will in the earth. And then he commands him, and he says, you shall eat from every tree except one. And so he wants him to be devoted to his word. He wants him to be in service to him, undividedly, and he wants him to be devoted to his word. And that's the biblical definition of worship. God creates Adam and Eve and humanity with the purpose that they would worship him. That is why we are created, and that's where we find 
uh, the true meaning of what it means to be human. That's why when we start to do other things, we kind of distort the meaning of humanity, right? But let's read on in Genesis 3, 5 through 7. This is going to be important for us to kind of tackle here because we need to know what happens when they disobey, right? If worship was just something that was just a religious activity, then in the moment of disobedience, they stopped worshiping. But what does it say? This is what he's... This is what, uh, It says in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 4. The serpent says, you will not certainly die. He says it to the woman. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What is happening here? The enemy is not just swaying them to, to simply disobey, but in their disobedience, they are moving their worship from God, undivided to God, and moving it to something else, which is themselves. You will be like God. You can have wisdom outside of God that will make you like him. And so he's deceiving them into thinking, oh, I could, I could, I could have, I'm lacking in God. In my undivided service, to, I'm lacking, so let me take that. And so he encourages them to move their worship to themselves, to something else. And so the idea is not that there are some people who worship, the religious people over there, and then there's other people who don't. The reality is, is that we're all in some form or fashion worshiping. It's not a matter of if we worship, it's a matter of what do we worship. What are we directing our worship towards? Another example of this would be Romans 1.25. Paul says, they, sinful humanity, so he's speaking of people who don't believe in God at this point, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and what? Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And so what's happening here is that you have people who don't believe in God who are worshipping, engaging in worship. It's just not to God. It's to other things. It's to our talents. It's to our work. It's to things that we create which is all good because God has given us those talents, but we have now directed it to something other than God. And I, and I, I, I want to stress this because I think we can be, I have been convinced in my personal walk with Jesus that because I go to church, right, and because I do these church things and I go through the Christian motions, that I'm worshiping God when Monday through Friday I'm doing something totally different. My mind is somewhere else. I'm not thinking about God. I don't want to obey him. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be obedient to his will. I don't want to serve his will. And I can deceive myself into thinking that, okay, because I'm doing church things, I'm worshiping God, when the reality is maybe I'm directing it to something else. And that's a scary thing. That's why it was a deception in the beginning. But again, don't take my word for it. 
Jesus taught this in his earthly ministry. A very overlooked verse that I realized that I overlooked this verse a lot. In the study, I was like, yikes. I don't think about this verse at all. Never. I do not think about this unless I'm going through Matthew. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. I mean, listen to this contrast. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, success, pleasure, image, what people think of you. You cannot serve, be devoted, you peridros, to God and to something else. Again, I'm not talking about diligence. I'm not talking about being diligent in your work and being diligent in the things that God has given to you. I'm talking about where something is the driving motive for your existence in life. Where something has changed from becoming a job that God has provided for me to provide for my family and, and find some form of fulfillment in, but that becomes the driving passion of all my fulfillment in life. It has taken my devotion and my service. You can't have that and be in devotion to God. Our worship can't be split. Again, scary thing, but it's necessary for us to understand a discipline of worship. So bear with me. <laughs> so that's, that's the theological framework of worship. What the Bible means when it's talking about worship, a life of devotion and service to something or someone, and we realize God wants that for himself. He wants that. He wants us to give that to him. But what does it look like to practically worship God then? What does this look like? Again, is it just going to church? Is it just reading more? Is it just praying more? Is it just like, what does it look like practically to worship God? To this, I'm going to have you turn with me to look at what the Apostle Paul says in his book to the Romans. Romans chapter 12. Roman, or, uh, Paul, <laughs> Roman. Paul just spent 11 chapters going through, I mean, an extensive, systematic, just breaking it down, like why Jesus is worth it, why it matters, what justification is, what it means to be redeemed, why it's a beautiful thing that God has given you mercy and what that should do in your life. He just spent like 11 chapters diving so deep into this that there was a preacher who spent six years in just those chapters. I was like, what are you talking about? That is insane. In chapter 12, verse 1, he shifts, and this is what he says. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, out of everything I just said, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Holy and pleasing to God. This is it right here. This is your true and proper worship. This is what it looks like to worship God. You give your entire life, every day, to Him. That's what it means to worship God. The imagery here, well, well let me say it this way. A, a commentator that I was reading, he said this. He said, this means to, to, have a, to be continually 
and constantly presenting yourself before God to be used at his leisure for his will. Constantly presenting yourself before God and saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it for you. I am undivided in my service to you. The image is that of a servant presenting themselves to a king. Think of Daniel. Daniel would stand before the king and he would all day holding the cup, right? King, this is what you want. I'm serving you. Now, Jesus is a righteous king, so he's not going to have us do anything crazy, but it's that idea. I'm a servant. Lord, you are the righteous king. What you want, what you will, I'm in service to that. I'm here for that. What does it look like to biblically worship God? We build a habit of presenting, again, the totality of our life, not just a compartment, not just a morning, not just a Sunday, but all of our life before God for him to use us as he wills. Again, he's a righteous and good God. He's not going to use you in a bad way. But this is what it means to worship God biblically. Now, when I was going through this, I was like, okay, Lord, I, I don't do this for you. <laughs> I don't do this very well. Uh, I, there are things in my life that I just, I, I don't see it as like me worshiping it. I find myself like at times where I convince myself like, oh man, I just really like this thing. So I'll do this over, you know, I know you're calling me to read and, and like spend time, but I think I just should do this first. And then I never actually get to the word. And I was just really like, God, like I don't, I don't do this as well as I thought. And maybe like that's how you're feeling. Maybe you're like, uh, if that's worshiping God, then I don't really know, man. Like, this seems really hard, and it should be. That's a good thing. When we begin to understand worshiping God means more than church attendance, more than religious activity, I think we begin to see, I began to saw how easy it is to direct our worship to another thing. It is easy for us, because of sin in us, to turn a good thing into the object of our worship. I mean, in the drop of a dime, we can make it happen because of sin. A job can quickly become an enslavement to your work, where you are neglecting family, you're neglecting your time with God. Right? The people we look up to even godly people, this is what I was finding for me, godly preachers, godly people can become the objects of my worship. Like I can elevate them to the point where I am worshiping them. I am moving my worship from God onto this person. This is why we call them idols. This is why we call uh, celebrities idols, because they become idols. <laughs> the desire for financial security to be good stewards of our money can quickly become an enslavement to money. I mean, it could very quickly become, man, I just, if I just do this one more thing, if I just, just one more, like, just go in for a few more hours, just, just for my financial security, like, just one more. I, I know I should maybe spend the Sabbath day and, and maybe refresh and, and spend time with the Lord, but one more time. And then we're just caught in a cycle where we are enslaved to money. 
But here's the good thing. We're not alone in this. This isn't, un, like, this isn't unnatural for the Christian. It's unnatural for our humanity because of sin, but it's not unnatural for the, for, for the Christian because this is, what, this is just the reality of our human circumstance right now, even as a Christian. And we see this with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, after literally just talking about this in chapter 6 with the Romans, saying, offer your members as instruments for righteousness. Do not offer them to be instruments of evil. Literally the next chapter, Paul walks in and he starts to confess how he does not do this properly. This is what he says. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want I keep on doing. This is Paul. Okay, so if we were ever thinking that Paul was just this guy who never, like, struggled or had sin, this proves us wrong. Like, he was a human just like us in our circumstance, and he struggled with it too. Every human, except for one, Jesus. So what do we do, right? If, if we understand what worship is, a life of devotion and service to something, and we understand the command to worship God and God alone and for him to only have that undivided service, but then we realize also our, uh, how easy it is for us to direct our worship to something else. And we know that very well, and we see that in our life. Where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in the Christian life if, if this is just what it is? Isn't there a point where I get, like, I'm not doing that anymore? Where's the hope? It's in the gospel. Paul says at the end of his confession of chapter 7, verse 25, he says, Praise be to God who delivers me from, or delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. After his whole rant and venting of, God, I do what I don't want to do, I worship other things. I, the sin that I hate, I keep doing. And the good that I really wish that I could do and the obedience that I really wish I could have, I just don't do it. He says at the very end, but praise be to Jesus who delivers me. The sweet beauty of the gospel is that God has made it possible. If you don't get anything else out of this, like if you feel beaten down right now, <laughs> like, man, I don't do it right. This is the whole point of the gospel. The beauty of it is that the gospel is literally a way, a pathway back to redirect your worship back to God. You've directed it this way, the gospel lets you bring it right back to God. You have a pathway back to proper worship. That's why the gospel is so beautiful. And I've said this before, but the gospel is not a one-time decision where we are walking in sin and we believe in Jesus and then we make a decision to follow him and then now we just try to figure it out. The gospel should be applied to our life every single day. Because why? We sin every single day. So we need forgiveness every single day. We need mercy every single day. We need grace every single day. If we don't, we're not going to be able to live this out. You're going to be trying to live it out in your own strength, and you're going to worship other stuff, and you're going to convince yourself that you're doing good. 
but the reality is you might be worshiping something else. And so we need the gospel. A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, we are saved to worship God. All that Christ has done for us in the past and all that he is doing now leads us to that one end. This is the purpose of our life. Obviously, God wants to use us to do great things in the world, but why does he want to use us to do them? So that he's glorified, so that people come to know him, so that people come to the gospel. That's the, like to worship God. That is the purpose. That is the reason he's created us. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So we understand now what biblical worship is, a life of devotion and service to something or someone. We know the command that God wants us to direct that only to him. But we also understand how susceptible we are to we, that we direct it to other things and that often we do. How then do I build a discipline of worship? How do I build a discipline of redirecting my worship back to God via the gospel? How do I do that? I'm going to give you three words. If you're a note taker, write these three words down. This will be something that you can go back to and do every day. You notice that your worship is somewhere else. These three things will lead you right back into proper worship of God. The first one, recognition. We need to recognize... If we are to redirect our worship back to God, we need to recognize that we have directed it somewhere else first. Right? We need to have brutal honesty with ourselves. Don't use vague terms or Christian terms. Like, we need to come to the realization of like, God, I have worshipped my job. I have worshipped my spouse. I have worshipped my pastor. I have worshipped even my friends. I have worshipped my social media. I have worshipped something else when only you deserve the worship. We recognize that, and we become fully aware of that reality. And that will then lead us into the next word, which is repentance. We repent after we come to the recognition of this and we're fully aware that I've directed my worship to something else, what do I do? I turn away from that and I walk right back to Jesus. I go right back to Jesus. Repentance is simply you're going this way, you go that way. You ever walked down a dark alleyway before, right, and saw someone coming? You turn right back around and you go the other way, right? That's repentance, so think of that. That's dangerous, I'm going this way, right? And so when we do that, we are literally redirecting our worship to God because we are moving from this sin, this thing that I've worshiped, maybe it's not sin, maybe it's just a good thing, but in worshiping it, it becomes sin. I am moving myself and walking to God. In doing so, I've redirected my worship to God via the gospel. The gospel makes repentance possible every day. Every single day. So if you repent every day, don't be discouraged. That's a good thing. We need that. You have to do that. Because if you're not, that's a dangerous spot to be. You don't want to be that. We need to repent every day. Now, recognize that we've worshipped something else. 
we repent, we turn away from it. Remember, dark alleyway, dangerous person, go the other way, right? I'm walking back to God. I've redirected myself to God. What do I do now? Because I think a lot of times we stop here. And sometimes when we do it often enough, as we should, it becomes a, okay, I'll just try harder. Okay, maybe I won't have to repent so much. Okay, God, maybe I hope that you'll forgive me. I hope. I'm trying to have faith. Right? And it becomes this kind of, like, yes, be sorrowful of your sin, but after you repent, like, the gospel is good news. And so, like, if we're walking away after receiving forgiveness and we're feeling down and shameful, something's wrong. Like, like something's not clicking right. And I think because we missed the last part, which is to remember. Remember that the gospel is good news. Repentance is a good thing. Recognition is a good thing when we recognize these things. I recognize, I repent, but I, I run back to the Father as we've sung before, and I remember that he's a good God. That's why he sent Jesus in the first place. If he wasn't good, he would have let us just keep worshiping other stuff and just send us right to hell. But he sent Jesus and put wrath on him so that I, every single day, have a way to redirect my worship back to him. I should be filled with so much joy that he is willing to receive me every day when I sin every day. We remember the goodness. Jesus says this in Mark 1.15. He says, repent, start his ministry, repent and believe the gospel. It starts with repentance. We gotta repent. When you recognize it, when you see it in your life, you gotta repent. But once you repent, believe the gospel. Believe it, have faith in it. Trust Jesus that though you sin, and though you sin often, and you have to maybe repent often, and maybe you worship other stuff, and you have to keep redirecting it back to God, but we trust and have faith that though that is my reality, Jesus still has victory over sin and death. Like, if I have faith in Jesus, I am fully justified before the Father. He doesn't see me in my sin if I am in Jesus. That's good news. Right? And so we remember that. We remember. And that will be the balm to be able to push back on again. From there, you can get up. And you can walk and worship to God. And then when you see that you're starting to direct it to something else again, what do you do? You do these three things all over again. You recognize that you've done it. You repent, turn back to the Father, and you remember the good news. And you keep doing it until glory, when you won't have to do it anymore. All right? We won't be in sin anymore. I'm looking for, man, I'm looking for that day. <laughs> so this is what it looks like to be disciplined in worship. It means that we understand the command to worship God with every part of who we are. But we also understand our imperfection in carrying this out day to day. But we don't stop there. We don't leave it there. Right? We utilize the power that God has given to us to intentionally redirect our worship back to him in repentance. God has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. We read that in 2 Peter. This includes that. Life and godliness. So this week, along with the reading plan that we're going through, right, we're working through First and Second Peter, which go pretty well with this, I would say. Um, read Romans 6. 
If you want to go a little bit further, read Romans 6, 7, and 8. I mean, you'll see this there. But read Romans 6, if it's, if it's a lot of reading. Romans 6, how do you live a biblically worshipful life? Romans 6. How do you remember so that you're motivated? Romans 6. And then maybe you're discouraged. Read Romans 7, that, you, that way you can relate to Paul. And then read Romans 8 so you can see the promise that is promised to you. Do. This is going to take a little bit more honesty. This is not too fun, right? Spend some time in prayer and write down things. Again, all this will be out, outside. If you're not seeing a slide, it's out, it's out there. You'll be given it. Don't worry. Spend some time in prayer and write down some things. Physically write down things that you're, you are tempted to worship or that you find very easy to start to bring up to that level of worship. Write them down. This is the recognition part. Recognize your susceptibility to certain things. Write them down and then go to prayer. And maybe a prayer could be, Lord, forgive me for the times I've directed my worship toward other things or this thing, this, this particular thing that I have named on this paper. Redirect my heart towards you and sanctify me. You know, help my heart to see you alone as worthy of my worship. And then connect, reach out to someone, right? Reach out to another person, right? Again, we're all in the same boat, so it's not like you're going to be talking to someone who's, like, got it figured out. So you just connect with someone and be like, all right, man, can you, like, pray with me? Because I have a pretty long list, and I just need prayer. Or maybe you're like, there's this one thing on my list that is just, I mean, it's, it's one thing, but it is, it's a big thing that I keep going back to and I keep worshiping. Can you pray with me? Do that. That's why we're here. That's how you be disciplined in fellowship. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, Jesus, that even though it cuts, man, it cuts sometimes. It hurts sometimes for us to see what we're susceptible to in ourselves. But thank you, Lord, that it's a good thing. It's a good thing that you don't just leave us comfortable in our sin. It's a good thing you don't leave us comfortable in our worship of other things. But you are consistently pursuing us to recognize these things in us so that we could repent of them turn to the gospel that you have provided for us through Christ and that we would be made whole and satisfied in you and our worship would be redirected to you where it belongs. And thank you that every day you have made this possible, God, through Christ. And so I pray that for each and every one of us, we would walk out encouraged, yes, challenged to start to try to see these areas where we are worshiping other things, but encourage that you have provided the way. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Christ. You said that from your own mouth. And so help us to have faith in that, Jesus. So we ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.